Welcome to Now Appalachia, hosted by author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. This show profiles the authors and publishers that have connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. And now, Appalachia. And hello, friends, and we welcome you once again to another episode of Now Appalachia, the podcast program heard on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue profiling the outstanding authors, publishers, and editors with connections to the Appalachian region. And I'm your host, Elliot Parker, and it's great to have you with us. Uh, We are stepping away from our business side of publishing podcasts, which we've been focusing on uh, over the last several episodes, and we're getting back into books and writing and authors. And we have an outstanding author with us here today to talk to us about her new book. She's more than just an author. She is also the host of the popular WNYC podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. Let's talk about hard things. And she has a new book out. It's called Let's Talk About Hard Things. And our guest today is Anna Sale. And Anna joins us uh, as the host of that podcast program, Death, Sex, and Money, which is an award-winning podcast produced uh, at WNYC in their studios. And she's been doing interviews on that podcast about the things that we think about a lot, but we need to talk about a lot more since 2014. Before that, she covered politics for public radio for a number of years. She, like me, grew up in West Virginia, and she currently lives in the East Bay area of California with her husband and two daughters. So, uh, Anna, welcome to Now Appalachia. So delighted to have you here with us today. Oh, Elliot, it's a real pleasure to be here. I'm a proud Appalachian, so I'm glad to, to be on this show. No, oh, so so glad to have you. I've been a fan of your podcast for a long time, and I'm so glad to have you on to talk to us about uh, your new book, Let's Talk About Hard Things. And so I wanted to ask you as, as we get started, uh, there are conversation topics that you profile in your book around the topics of death, sex, money, family, and identity. Of all of those, which do you feel like is the hardest for people to talk about? Oh, I think they're all hard in different ways. <laughs> that's, that's why I included those big five. I was like, whoa, if I'm going to do a book about talking about hard things, how do I, how do I limit what the big topics are? Um, but I would say, you know, it certainly depends on your personal experience, what feels the least comfortable to talk about. Um, I think if you look at sort of culturally, broadly, hang on, I think I may just made a sound on my computer. If you look broadly across um, what we have the least practice talking in public about, it's money, you know, Um, certainly sex and relationships and death and grief, you know, it's hard, it's hard to talk about those openly, but, but money, it's just hard to know where to start, you know, because it all feels so private and also like, ooh, what's, okay to share. And if you're a proud person and you, you know, want to, you feel, might feel privately a little um, uncertain about how things are going financially for you. And you don't want to openly share that Um, money. Money is the hardest to talk about. And I will say it was also the hardest chapter to write (laughs) for me. (laughs) Absolutely. And and money's always one of those interesting things. I've I've had so many uh, employers and and people uh, in my profession and and growing up doing a lot of summer jobs tell me so many different things about money. And it is, you know, they they always talk about, you know, you should never talk about religion and politics, either with family or with perfect strangers. But I'm with you. I think money is the one uh, that really uh, makes people kind of sweat under the collar a little bit uh, and get uncomfortable because, it, you know, it's something that is so personal to everyone. And like you said, people uh, are either proud of it, ashamed of it, 
um, or just for whatever reason, don't want to touch that issue. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that's tricky about money is when you say money, that means a lot of things, you know, like you first think like, oh, what do I have in my bank account? You know, that's the first concrete number you might think of. But I also explore in the chapter, like money conversations can be so tricky because you're also talking about things like the culture that you grew up in and your family and what the values were as far as sharing and interdependence versus independence and personal achievement, you know, like some real sort of people are different when it comes to money. And it's some very core beliefs that the, we often take us a long time to figure out how to name, you know? So you, I personally will say like, I have a lot of, if I'm going to worry about something, usually it's money. <laughs> like that is my personal worry. And, and I think it took me a long time to be like, what is, what is this about? And it's about, oh, this is my fear of uncertainty and survival and just like basic existential angst. But for me, it gets, uh, it's, it, it gets, exercised as money anxiety, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think I'm having a conversation about how much we should spend at the grocery store this week, but really it's about a whole lot of other things all at once. Absolutely. And I think it's a generational thing too. I mean, I had a set of grandparents that grew up in the great depression. Mm -hmm. And so they were very much about save every penny that you have only spend on your necessities and occasionally, you know, uh, splurge on something. And then, and then my parents were that way, but we see, you know, generations younger than us look at money differently, look at it as something that, that, that you should spend and you should spend it on maybe experiences, doing things, not necessarily buying things. Kind of like our generation was big on, you know, how many video game consoles could yeah. we own? Or exactly. did you have the newest computer or what, how big of a car did you have? What was your first car and how fancy was it? But it seems like the younger generations behind us look at money as, as providing experiences, opportunities to go and explore and do and see new things. So it's interesting when you think about money, kind of the, the generational wave that it's taken in terms of going from one generation to the next, how the, those generations view money. You know, and I also make the argument in the book that, um, you know, generationally, there's been a big shift in our country as far as, you know, what, who we look to, to help make these decisions, you know, like a few generations ago when it was much more likely that you might have a pension at work, for example, you know, you sort of could trust these institutions to help sort of make you feel like your financial house was in order, you know, that, and you didn't have to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with your coworkers about it necessarily. Cause you all, you know, you were in the pension program. We're in a different economy now where so much of not just, you know, our retirement, but like how we work, if we're a, an independent contractor, a freelancer, have all these side hustles, like more, I, I make the argument that we have to talk about money more because all of us on our own are having to make decisions on our own uh, in a way that institutions used to kind of guide us through a little bit more. Um, and, and so we might not feel comfortable talking about money, but we actually need to because we need some help making these decisions. These are not just choices you should make Googling late at night on personal finance blogs. You know, <laughs> you need to create a little bit more community around these big questions. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you one of your, one of your most poignant lines, I think, in your book came on the very first page. And I wanted to ask you about it. You opened up the book by saying, when I was 30 years old, words failed me. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about what that means? Yeah, I mean, 
I was lucky to make it to 30 uh, without having a moment in life where I realized, oh, I can't, I can't fix what's happening. I can't stop this bad thing that is happening in my life from happening. And, and for me in my life, it was the end of my first marriage. And um, what was happening there was, you know, my, I had, I'd fallen in love with this guy when I was in college. We were both from West Virginia. We got married in West Virginia. We started our careers there. And then around the time he turned 30, he realized he wanted to do something very different. He wanted to become an artist and a filmmaker. And uh, what, what that led to in our marriage was a lot of upheaval as far as our ability to kind of envision together how our lives were gonna go together in parallel. You know, he, he wanted to pursue, he wanted to travel all over the world and make projects. And I was very clear that I wanted to have a house and kids and, and a, a more sort of um, grounded, grounded life um, experience. And, and we tried to talk about this impasse, you know, really tried, like we did the couples counseling, I read the books, uh, you know, I reread books that I'd read before, you know, really trying to figure out how can we resolve this tension in our marriage. And I realized that we couldn't talk our way out of this very different, very big difference in, in what we wanted in our lives. And what that taught me was, oh, this isn't, um, I kind of had had a faith somehow that if I, you know, it sounds, it sounds so naive, but I did really have this faith that if I worked hard enough and studied enough and asked the right experts, um, I could keep hard things from happening, you know? And what I found from that experience was, oh, there's no getting around hard moments in life, whether it's the dis disillusion of a relationship or, you know, losing someone you love that you didn't expect, or even when you did expect, you know, you can't, you can't get around hard stuff. Um, but what words can do is they can be a way that you can create supportive communities around you while you're going through these hard things. And, and I found, you know, as I made that transition, I got divorced, I started making death, sex and money and doing the interviews on the show really was me kind of collecting information on like, when you went through a hard transition, just tell me about it. What was it like? And it wasn't out of this spirit of like, I'm going to hack this and I'm going to make sure I don't, I don't do, you know, make any mistakes. It was more like, oh, we all again, have hard stuff happen and, and we can't stop it from happening. But when you share around it and create, um, you know, get out of that isolation and sometimes stigma even of having a hard time, that really helps. So Absolutely. that was the big transition for me. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. I love, I love how you framed that and phrased that and how, you know, it was, it, it helped you, it helped you move on and sort of helped you heal yeah. from that from that process. I, one of the things I loved about your book, Anna, is that, you know, you sprinkle in uh, a variety of different uh, individuals who've experienced uh, problems or sadness uh, around some of those themes or struggles around those themes. And I wanted to ask you an, an example uh, is Katie Couric in the death chapter. Mm -hmm. um, and I like what you said uh, when she was on your podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, and she was talking about the death of her first husband from cancer. 
And she said this, she said, looking back on it, there was probably a lot of dishonesty, she said, meaning Katie. I wish that I had the courage to really talk to my husband about the fact that he was probably going to die. And when I was reading all, and you have uh, another uh, woman named Megan in that chapter, and there's a variety of other different individuals, and some names we know, some we don't know sprinkled mm-hmm. in there. But what was really interesting about that is, is how honest those people were when they were talking Mm -hmm. to you about their experiences with those issues and those themes. And I was wondering, as you thought about putting some of those together for the book, if, if it was easier to use the ones that were the most honest, or how did you go about choosing which ones to include? Because I know you've, you've interviewed so many people about these, heard so many stories about these topics. How did you choose the ones that you put into the book? Because every single one that you used in every chapter was terrific. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, you know, when I was when I was thinking about what I wanted this book to be, I wanted it to include stories from my own life to just kind of model. You know, I don't I don't present myself as like, again, as this like expert who's going to help you get around hard things. I wanted to model like this is when this has been really hard for me, and this was the story there. But I wanted it also to have a real variety and diversity of stories that you heard from. You know, not just you know, in the death chapter, not just people who were dealing with, um, you know, the terminal illness of their loved ones and cancer. I also wanted to include pregnancy loss or death by violent crime or um, uh, you know, just a, or death by just old age, like how we talk about death with people we love when they're getting really old. Um, and and so I sort of collected these, you know, I just did interviews with with I was like, that might be a little bit of a different take on, on you know, compared to those, that last interview I did, you know, and I wanted to create this sort of kaleidoscope feeling. So you might not relate to everyone in the book, but there's probably one person who's hitting on something or shares a background with you, I hope. Um, but that line you quote from Katie Couric, that was from the podcast. And, and that's the really fun part about my job, whether it's in doing radio interviews or audio interviews or or in writing this book, like when someone says something to you like that, what you just read, I remember it, you know, like, cause it's just like, oh, there's so much in what she told me. There was, there was probably a lot of dishonesty. You know, when, what she was talking about there was, you know, she, as the loving wife of a, of her, of her first husband, as he was, as he was dying and being treated for cancer, she felt like, her role was to be his cheerleader, to keep him strong and optimistic and hopeful, which we, of course, that's what you wanna do as a partner. Um, But what she's also saying there is that we never made that space to say, what if, you know, just to say, I just really want you to know what it has meant for me to have you in my life, you know, or or what, what do you imagine? for my life if you're not here with my girl, you know, those kinds of conversations they, they did not have. Um, and those are important conversations. Um, so, so yeah, that really stuck with me. I don't know what I would do if I were in her same situation. I understand the instinct to just try to just love your partner back to health, but we can't always do that. Yeah, very well said. We're speaking with Anna Sale here today on Now Appalachia. She has a new book out. It's called Let's Talk About Hard Things, and it's based on 
her podcast or connected to her podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, which is heard on, uh, which is heard anywhere, but is produced uh, in New York and WNYC in those studios there. So, Anna, we'll come back to your book uh, in just a second, but sure. I want to ask you about that podcast. Mm-hmm. How did it get started? How did you get into it? And what do you like most about hosting it? Oh, well, it's a really, I mean, it's a funny story because I, you know, my whole career, I started in 2005 at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, making radio. They taught me everything. They taught me how to hold a microphone, how to, we used mini discs at the time, taught me how to edit audio. Um, And I just covered news for almost 10 years. That was my job, covering everything from, you know, natural disasters to political campaigns and legislative sessions. And you know, when you're covering news, one of the main skills that you have to develop is you've got to run up to someone you've never seen before, put a microphone in their face and say, tell me something, (laughs) you know, like you, and often it's tell me something about you. So you have to sort of develop this ability to tell them why you want to talk to them, where this story is going to go, um, and what you're wondering. And, and so I, I did that for, you know, as I said, about 10 years. And then, then I just got to the place where um, I was curious, I was tired of only talking to voters, for example, you know, just getting a little soundbite at the top. And then the rest of the story was about polls. You know, this voter says this, and that's in line with these polls about why Barack Obama is up and Mitt Romney is down, that, that kind of political coverage. So I just started kind of wondering, like, what if just that top quote, like, what if that were actually the story? You know, what if we just went in deep with a person with a deep curiosity to see what we might find out? Um, And as I said, my life had been sort of turned upside down um, as I was starting the show. So I also had this real sort of personal need to just hear like, how have you made life work? <laughs> you know, what have you noticed? Because I was rebuilding. I was trying to make some really big choices about where I wanted to live, what, you know, what kind of work I wanted to do for the long term. I was dating my now husband, Arthur. I was trying to figure out all those things, but what kind of like how our life might work because he is a large mammal ecologist and I was a reporter in New York City. It was like kind of hard to see how that worked together. Um, so that was the, the impetus for it. And, and it's just been such a privilege. Like the show is called Death, Sex and Money, but um, really you can make any story have something to do with death, sex and money. I've found, <laughs> you know, it's like, just like any piece of fiction or something. Yeah. You could just, so it's just, oh, it, it, there's just so many possibilities. And, but every episode I get to just spend time with someone or a number of people and just talking with them, which is my favorite thing to do. Who is or what is uh, a most memorable guest or a most memorable story? And and I know you've got so many of them in your book, but uh, who who is one that you, uh, someone you spoke with or something someone told you that Anytime you think about your podcast, getting ready for a new episode, or you think about the history of it, the longevity of it, going back to 2014, that always comes to your mind first. What what is a story or who is someone you've spoken with that always comes to mind or always sticks out when you think about your podcast? I mean, this this was one of the very first episodes of the show, but um, I think about it because it was such a personal story and and it was um, part of my love story with my husband. Uh, I 
as we were figuring out how to be long distance and what our future was, you know, we had some moments where it didn't look like we were going to have a future together because we just couldn't see it. And we broke up at one point. And uh, my husband, Arthur, he was not my husband then. He was my ex-boyfriend. He sort of realized, oh, I think this is a mistake. I think we should be together. And I was like, Arthur, I don't know. Like, I think you're just afraid to be alone. We've, we've been churning over these questions. I think, I think it's best that we give each other space. And so we were in that kind of period of, you know, not being together. And he decided to write a letter to uh, former Wyoming Senator Alan Simpson very weird decision of his <laughs> because <laughs> I had covered Alan at the time it was Simpson Bowles. There was like deficit, you know, deficit plan in, during the Obama administration. Alan Simpson had been in the news and Arthur knew I had a certain kind of like fondness for him because he's a real sort of character, the way he talks about, you know, life. He's really good quote generator, just a real sort of, you just like to hear him talk, but I did not know him. And Arthur wrote to him and said, here's the situation. Here's, I've been with this woman where we've been in love. You know, I study animals in Wyoming. That was the Wyoming connection. Um, now we're split up and, and, I, and, I, and I'm just wondering if you'll call her on my behalf, which was again, a bold thing to do. And Alan Simpson ended up calling me on my cell phone when I was walking down the street in Manhattan and I talked to him on the phone and he said, I just, I have this letter here. I don't, this is the craziest thing. And, um, and he said, no, I don't know what's going on, but, but I'm just going to read you parts of this letter. And I heard in the background, this woman's voice kind of shouting, you know, and he said, well, Anne says, you just don't need, don't get, let your pride get in the way. And I said, I said, who's Anne? Let me talk to Anne. So he put his wife on the phone and they'd been together at this point for almost 60 years, not quite. They've now been together for well over 60 years. And anyway, that very strange phone call, letter and phone call, led to a friendship. And Arthur and I, that led us back to each other. It really did, that phone call. And then I said to Alan Ann, um, well, could I interview you all about your marriage? Because one of the things that was so generous of them was when they were talking to me, they were like, look, this is not easy. There are hard things. Anne had to be back in Wyoming when her mother was dying and Al was still in Washington in the Senate. There were periods when we had to do couples counseling through our church when our kids were little. They were just so open about, you know, what it is to go through it in a marriage. And it really gave me confidence to try again, you know? And so they talked to me about all of that then when I interviewed them for the show. And it became an episode called This Senator Saved My Love Life. Um, and it's truly, I listen back to it and every, I just am reminded every time of like, oh, here's another little moment I need to be reminded of about how to love someone. And also like that marriage, there's this line that Al says in it. He's like, the key to marriage is you both try to control the other and you both fail. <laughs> like, like, yep. <laughs> so, and they've, they're still very good friends. And I interviewed Anne um, for part of the book uh, at, about aging. She's now 89 years old. Um, I love them dearly. And uh, it just, it, to me, it's also about the kinds of relationships you can form with people when you have a conversation about hard things. Like, 
we are close. They are my, some of my best friends. They know a lot about me. And that's what can happen when you open it up. We're so pleased to be joined by Anna Sale today here on Now Appalachia. She's the creator and host of the podcast Death, Sex, and Money, and her new book is out. It's called Let's Talk About Hard Things. And so, um, Anna, I wanted to ask you this about talking about hard things. We, we've talked about money and death and, 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 and love and some of those things. What have you discovered is the reason we don't talk about those hard things? Why is it that we seem to shy away from them, even when we know we have to have the conversation, like we were talking about with Katie Kirk as an example a moment ago, or we know we need to sit down with our spouse and talk about our financial situation. We don't do it. We avoid it. We put it off. What have you learned over the years is the reason why we do that? Why do we avoid these topics? Well, I think a really big reason is because when we think about what we're going to say, we think, oh, I don't know what to say that's going to fix this. You know, um, think about when you're writing a, a card, a condolence card to someone who's just lost something, someone that they're grieving. You want to say the thing that's going to offer them comfort, you know, but then you stare at it and you say, what's the right thing to say? Because they're going to be still be sad after they read this card. I can't say things will get better soon, you know, or, or you'll get over this with time or y- you want to. Um, and, and so I think a big part of my book is to say each chapter, I look at death, sex, money, family, and identity, those separate big topics. And I say, here's what's particularly, here's what's, what makes this so hard. Here's the tension that we're trying to avoid. And we're just going to look at that. And so, and it's not on you to fix that in these hard conversations. More what these can be is like, let's witness this together and kind of describe how we're experiencing this, you know, even with money, you know, even if you have, you're in financial trouble and you're sitting down with your spouse and you're like, oof, you know, what are we going to do with this? You might avoid it because you're like, I don't know where this extra money is going to come from to cover this debt, but you need to have that conversation to say like, wow, are you comfortable with this level of credit card debt, your partner might say, I, I actually am. I think we're going to be okay in a year because this has happened. They might have a different sort of sensibility around debt and investment and seeing how things risk. They might have a different attitude. Um, you, and you need to explore those things together. And even if you look at it together and you're both like, wow, we're in trouble, you're not going to deal with the problem until you together look at it and admit that there's a problem. Yeah, very well said. Absolutely. Very well said. So in our final moments with you today, Anna, if someone wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about your new book, Let's Talk About Hard Things, or if they want to find your podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, the award-winning podcast from WNYC Studios, how can they get in contact with you, first of all? Uh, How can they find out your podcast, about your podcast, and where can they get copies of your book? Well, my book uh, is everywhere, everywhere you can buy books. Um, I would recommend you buy it from a local bookstore. Uh, You can also buy it from Amazon, or if you use the website Bookshop, which I just started using in the last year or so, um, you can look up your favorite independent bookstore and they will get a cut of it. I make all my bookshop.org purchases through Taylor Books in Charleston, West Virginia, which is where I had my first job. so do that. If you don't have a bookstore pick, make that money, go to Taylor Books. Uh, and then to find my show, our website is deathsexmoney.org. And when you go there, you can see all the ways to listen to 
uh, every episode we've ever made. The archive is there. Also, there is a starter kit. So you can see some of our favorite episodes, including the one about the Simpsons, which I was talking about. And there's also an email address there, deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. And, and we stay in very close touch with our listeners. We wanna hear from people about what uh, reactions they have to episodes and also what they need to hear about, or if there's a story they wanna share. So you can be in touch with me. I, I look at that inbox uh, nearly every day probably take maybe a day off on the weekends, but otherwise I'm in that inbox just seeing what's coming in. Um, so we'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. It's a terrific podcast. If you're looking for something to add to your podcast list and your listening list, uh, I would certainly recommend it. And that podcast uh, is hosted by our guest today and who has been our guest today on Now Appalachia. Her name is Anna Sale. The title of her podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, which you can find, uh, as she told you and suggested on her website or anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. And her new book is out and we hope you'll pick up a copy of it. Let's talk about hard things. And if you need to have a conversation about some of those hard issues, whether it's uh, death, sex, money, uh, love, uh, any of the things that uh, we typically think about as, as difficult family, identity, all those things that are difficult for us to talk about, it will really give you uh, a guide, a guide book. It's really a great guidebook, almost like a roadmap for how to have those conversations. And she incorporates some really good examples of people that did or did not have those difficult conversations. And so, Anna, it's a terrific book. Congratulations. It's something I think we all have really needed for a long time. And I know it sprung out of your uh, excellent podcast. So congratulations on the book. Thanks so much for the conversation. And we'd love to have you back on the program soon. So please don't be a stranger. Oh, thank you, Elliot. It was wonderful to be with you today. Thank you for your interest. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And as we finish up on this episode of Now Appalachia, we want to give a special shout out to the executive producer of Now Appalachia. Her name is Pam Stack. We appreciate all the work that she does behind the scenes to make this podcast and all the podcasts that you hear on the network possible. So thanks so much to Pam for that. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And that's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next. Stay tuned for more outstanding podcasts from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.